listening to First Church Charlotte. The word of the Lord, we are reading in Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12, verse number 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I want to use that phrase, I will pass over you, as our theme here today. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Can I have an amen? Before you're seated, touch your neighbor and say, you need to listen today because you got lots of covering up to do. Amen. All right. So today is Communion Sunday. Uh, We have completed seven days of prayer and fasting. Um, Some of you um, were a little bit depressed in your spirit this morning because you had to fast this week. And that's a sure way to kill the spirit in your life is to take away your food. Uh, I understand that feeling, but it is absolutely important for us to have spiritual disciplines in our walk. Can I have an amen? We must have spiritual disciplines. We are not simply good time Christians. We want to be people with commitment. We want to be people who are consecrated. And so it is appropriate for us to have continuing spiritual disciplines in our life. And so every quarter we have a uh, week, we call it Passion Week, seven days of prayer and fasting. And Friday night we had a beautiful prayer service here in the church. If you've never been to a prayer service, it's 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 worth coming to. We'll have more. Uh, we had uh, several of our leaders lead prayer for their respective ministries. And just a great time together. I, I love the feel of God's people together with nothing really on the agenda except calling upon the name of the Lord. And it's very, very valuable. And we had a great time. And you'll be able to catch the next one that we have. Uh, but in this this week of uh, celebrating uh, our zeal and our commitment to God, we uh, end the week by having Communion Sunday. Now, we do this quarterly. Uh, some churches have communion more often. Some churches have communion every Sunday. Uh, We do it quarterly here at First Church, and it is a a special Sunday. It is a unique Sunday. Uh, Communion Sunday always has a little bit of a different feel. Um, It is because of this sacred uh, moment of reflection and proclamation of the Lord's work in our life. It's very, very important, and we want to do it as individuals, and we want to do it as a a collective church body, and so today at the conclusion of my teaching, we will have uh, communion for all of those who want to participate. And it is appropriate for us to look at the scripture and understand uh, the Passover, understand the exodus of God's people out of Egyptian bondage. I want to remind all of you that uh, the exodus story is not simply the story of Jewish history. It's not simply something that happened at a particular time in a particular place. It did happen, and it is part of the Jewish covenant history, but it is more than that spiritually. We, all of us, need deliverance in our life. Can I have an amen? Amen. Can I have a better amen? Amen. 
We all of us need deliverance. We are all of us held by the trappings of the flesh and the sins and the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. We are all of us held in that fallen condition until we meet a Savior and we are rescued through his redemptive work. This is this is fundamental to being believers. This is fundamental to being uh, Christians. We are all of us able to be in this house today, not because we were good enough to be here, but because Christ died for us. And we, each of us, must celebrate Christ's hope of redemption in our life. It is much more powerful for you to take a testimony to your world than it is for you to take an instruction set. If you look in the Bible, we have many, many examples of testimony. We even have examples of apostles that are given testimony. We are even given examples of apostles that are technically preaching a sermon. But if you'll note, it is very, very common and usual for them to take the tone of testimony. In other words, rather than me going into your home and telling you what you ought to do, I tell you what God has done for me, and then I speak faith to you and say, God will do great things for you. And when we are testimonies in our world, we do not, we avoid a lot of the human conflict that comes when one person lectures another person, and we simply give testimony of God's great work in our life. I wonder if there's anybody here today who has a testimony of God's great work in their life. Is there anybody here today who's been set free from the sins of the flesh? Is there anybody here today that you were struggling with depression? You were struggling with oppression, but once God came into your life, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old had passed away, and in came the spiritual new. I celebrate God's... I celebrate God's work in this house. I celebrate God's work in my life. I have hope today through Jesus Christ. We all of us must live that. We all of us, all of us must communicate that to other people in our life. If you have people in your life and they're not doing good, uh, you probably will have much more success by identifying with them and saying, God changed me. I believe God can change you. You have much more success being a testimony than you have saying you should be ashamed of yourself. They probably already know that they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, but if that's all you can do, believe it or not, you actually have more in common with the accuser of the brethren than you have in somebody who celebrates the redemption of Jesus Christ in their life. I want to be a testimony of God's grace. I want to be a bringer of hope. I want to be someone who gives people good news. Here's the good news. Jesus changed everything. And so the Exodus story is a story of deliverance for all of us. We all were dead in trespasses and sins. We all were prisoners of a spiritual yoke and made us slaves of the flesh. But we were set free, and the story is told in the, the book of Exodus how God's people were set free and brought out of that bondage. We, in like manner, are set free 
free. The Exodus story is not just about Israel. It is our salvation story. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, uh, Paul says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. I want you to understand the, the, the significance of the Passover on the Sunday where we take communion together. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver or gold, for your, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But how were you redeemed? By the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 9, verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, Jesus' own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I celebrate today the eternal redemption that is purchased through us through the work of Jesus Christ. The hymn writer said it so beautifully, and I love to sing these old hymns. I'm not a great singer, but I don't let that stop me. I'm a, not a great preacher either, and I don't let that stop me to so say you have to suffer through it all. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all, somebody say all, all their guilty stains. And then everyone sings together, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. When the children of Israel were going to be set free, I want you to see that they were going to be set free through judgment. This is interesting and this is important for us to understand. Uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Judgment is real and there is coming a day of judgment upon the whole world. None of us are super excited about that. None of us feel particularly worthy to be placed on trial before any group of people. Most of us don't even like to stand in front of a group of people. Now imagine being put in on trial in front of a bunch of people. Be bad enough with the church and most of those folks love you. Now imagine being placed, and none of us look forward to any type of a judgment. In fact, we say with the Old Testament psalmist, if the Lord were to judge, then who could stand? We say with the New Testament writers, if the righteous are scarcely saved, where does that leave the ungodly? None of us are excited about judgment, and yet I want you to see how deliverance comes to God's people through judgment. He has sent Moses, his man, to tell Pharaoh that God has a message for him, and this is the message, let my people go. Pharaoh resists. It is in the nature of the rebellious, sinful heart to resist the direction of God. And so when Pharaoh says no through a process of judgment, freedom comes to God's people. Now, the Lord is going to send an angel of judgment to the land of Egypt, and he is going to judge them through the death of their firstborn. We rush past that, but I want you to see that in most religions, the first of anything was considered sacred and devoted unto God. So it is that even among the Hebrews, that first of anything must be redeemed, and that serves as a type of time 
tithing, we redeem all that we have by first offering a portion back to the Lord. That is how you are given everything that is God's. It is not your world. It's God's world. It's not your car. It's God's car. It's not your talent. It's God's talent. Well, then how do you receive it? You redeem it for your use by honoring God with the first of it. And so it is that when judgment is coming, it is going to symbolically cover the land by taking that which would be devoted to the deities of Egypt. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want you to see. Now, God sends a death angel. That's how we think of him. But the Lord has many created beings that are a part of the heavenly host. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to do a series on the Elohim. Elohim is plural. Elohim is the passages that the, the, the word that is referred to in the Old Testament when you see things like God is the God of gods or the King of kings or the Lord of lords. What they're saying is he is the Elohim of Elohim. In other words, Elohim beca- can become a category for all the heavenly created beings of God. But Yahweh is incomparable. There is no one like Yahweh. There's tons of scripture on this and we may get into it at some point. It's very, very interesting to understand how there is a whole created host of heaven that is as it were, a part of God's counsel. That's how the Old Testament describes it. So one of these beings made by God for the purposes of judgment. And of course, we do not speak with certainty on these things. We speak through the scriptures that we have. But one of these is is an angelic being, uh, a son of God, you might say, a created being of God that is of judgment. And it is set free in Egypt. And this judgment and some manner you almost can imagine it in your mind's eye this dramatic spirit being of incomparable glory and divinity very much representative of the God who created it in the same manner that we are all of us imagers of God that's why we need to have a testimony that because we are imagers of God that's why we need to walk uprightly because we are imagers of God And so it is that this angel of judgment moves through the land and there is one escape from this judgment of death that has come upon the land and we read the instruction in Exodus chapter number 12. I will read uh, the instructions that Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb and you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his home until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and strike you. This is important because this angel of judgment when he sees the blood of covering. He does not know who has died. He only knows that they are covered. And so it is that we see in the tremendous work of Jesus Christ upon earth 
whereas the Son of God, he purchased the church. He purchased everyone who would call upon his name through his blood. Thus, the prophet, the preacher can say in Acts 20 and 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased. How? With his own blood. When the angel saw the blood, he did not know who had died, but he knew that house was a protected place. The the blood of covering was upon the house where the people were. Parents, I want to challenge all of you to let your house be a place of anointing. I want to challenge all you parents to let your house be a place of anointing. Your house has a covering that comes with you calling upon the name of the Lord. Your house, one of the reasons why we understand that children are covered by their parents through an age of accountability is the same understanding of a covering upon a household. There are some people who want to say that children are lost, but I I don't see that in a household that's been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Parents, you call upon the name of the Lord in your house. Parents, you lift up His name in your house. You let your house ring with the sound of praise. You need to have devotionals in your house. Let me, this has been on my spirit for several weeks now, so let me try to get it off here. You cannot just bring your children to church and expect them to receive a love for the things of God just at church. It's not going to happen. Your children are going to receive the church culture you give them. You're going to give it to them. I have your children for one hour a week. I normally I normally do, preach 30, sometimes 40 minutes if I'm long-winded. I have your children at most for an hour a week. Now, I could double that and start preaching an hour on Sundays, an hour on Wednesday night, then I have them for two hours every week. And if I have to do that, then I would do that. But let me tell you something better than that. You need to have the moving of God in your house. Your house needs to be a place of worship, a place of praise. The anointing needs to be in your house. And this is true for all of us. It's not just a handful. My wife and I recently talked about this. We've got to do more to have a spirit of God in our house. And we decided we're going to start having a, not just when we think of it or when it's appropriate, but we're going to set a time every night before we go to bed. If we don't have church going on or some type of a other commitment, we're going to sit down with our kids and we're going to have them be a part of the devotion. I ask them what they're thankful for. I ask them them to lead a prayer. I asked them to give me a prayer request. The best part of my week is hearing my little girl have uh, tell everybody it's time for her emotional. That's what she calls a devotion. She doesn't call it family devotion. She calls it emotional. And she goes running and I hear those little feet patter all the way down and she says, Bubba, it's time for emotional. And I say, yes, Lord, it's time for a motionable. If you haven't been having a motionable in your house, honey, it's time for a motionable. You need to sit down with your children. You need to say, hey, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. You need to do that with your children. 
You need to tell your children things like this. I know you live with daddy. And I know you know better than anybody in the world that daddy's not perfect. And I want you to hear from daddy's mouth himself that daddy has to repent on a regular basis too. But what I want you to know is the reason why we're Jesus people is we're not dependent on daddy's goodness. Jesus died for us. Jesus washed us. Jesus cleansed us. Daddy could never be good enough. Redemption is not about daddy. Redemption is about Jesus. And so the angel of judgment does not know what lamb has died. He only knows that there is a covering there. And so our sins have been taken away. John 1 and 21. Hebrews 10 and 17. He's forgotten our sins. Uh, uh, Isaiah 1 and 18. He has washed away our sins. Uh, Isaiah 43 and 25. He has blotted out our sins. Some of you sins. Some of your sins were so ugly. It could not be washed away. So what God looked decide when he looked at you. I'm talking about Brother Don at the moment. And he looked at Brother Don down in that disco hall and he said that's just too much of a mess down there to wash that away. Uh, and so I'm going to stump my toe and spill the whole ink blotter and we're just going to blot them out. And when the accuser of the brethren comes by, he's not going to be able to say hmm, let me see in here. He's going to say this was a hot mess. Let's move on. <laughs> yes. My sins were like that. And the Lord chose to just blot them out. Isaiah 44, some of you are so sweet. You're so Christian. You didn't have to have that kind of a thing happen. The Bible talked about you in Isaiah 43 and 25, and, or 44 and 22. And he said he just wiped their sins away like a cloud. That's uh, that Some of you sweet people are like that, like Sister Nancy's like that. She just had her sins wiped away like a cloud. But Brother Rick, he needed his blotted out by stumping a toe on the ink blotter. However, God has to do it. Some of you are sweet. We just wipe those sins away like a cloud. Some of you, you can't fix the mess. We just have to make a bigger mess. But whatever the case, Isaiah 55 and 7, he has pardoned our sins. And not only that, Micah 7 and 19 said, he has carried them into the depths of the sea. And so we have hope today through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we need to understand just how great his work was. Just how complete his covering is. Judgment is real. Judgment is real. But God has predestined the church to be saved through the work of Jesus Christ. Individually, you have a choice. That is God's gift to you of sovereignty. When he breathes his creative life into you and you became a soul with free will. Individually, you can choose to bow your knee or you can choose to reject. But God has ordained there is going to be a people. I said there's going to be a people who humble themselves and they call upon the name of the Lord. And out of those people, God is going to take a bride. The bride of Christ is predestined. There's no doubt about it. The only question is whether or not you and I are going to be a part of the bride of Christ. I want, oh hallelujah, I want to be a part of the bride of Christ. Yes.
And so there are in the scripture continued pictures of this. Continued pictures of this. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, what we are doing is we are living out in symbol. In the same manner we live out in symbol through baptism. And in the same manner we live out in symbol through tongues. In the same manner, the symbol is not the thing itself. It is representative of the thing itself. And it is this. You are saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you could have done it through the efforts of the flesh, then God or Christ died in vain. But since you could not do it through the efforts of the flesh, he became your sacrificial covering. And so when judgment walks through this world and judgment looks at us, they do not see how good I've been. Some of you will remember last Sunday, I I tried to give an example of grace and I told the story of a strong swimmer on a leaky boat full of weak swimmers. And so this leaky boat goes out into the storm and there's one really strong swimmer. He's like a triathlete championship swimmer and he can swim a long ways and there's lots of people on the boat in bad health. There's even people on the boat who can't swim. And so the storm comes and the leaky boat sinks in the sea. And as everyone is in the initial stages of adjusting to the water, that strong swimmer looks down his nose at everybody else and he says, these poor people, they don't have a chance. I am a strong swimmer and I'm going to make it. And as he swam by one person who did not even have the strength to swim for a couple minutes, he thought to himself, I'm so much better swimmer than they are. The last time I competed, I swam over 40 miles. I am an amazing swimmer. There are people that can swim that far and further. Uh, I'm an amazing swimmer. So he struck out and it wasn't long before there was only a handful of people swimming in this sea of judgment. And he swims and he swims and he swims and looks over and now there's only two people with him. And he thinks, oh, I'm so much better swimmer than these other people. And he swims another hour and he looks over. There's only one other person swimming with him. And he says, oh man, I am such a good swimmer. And I can see that person swimming they're struggling. They can't swim as good as me. And it isn't long before judgment has swallowed them all. And there's only one strong swimmer swimming. And he's thinking to himself, it has to be okay. It has to be okay. I can swim over 40 miles. It has to be okay. But there's one profound problem. Being a strong swimmer doesn't help if you're thousands of miles away from the shore. You can look down your nose at weak swimmers if you want to. You can think you're better than weak swimmers if you want to. But honey, your best is not going to get you to the shore of that holy city. Your best is not going to make it. Let me brag to you about Jesus Christ. There was only one who was good. There's only one who is righteous. There's only one who can make it through a sea of judgment. And he showed up. And he did not show up by himself. But he showed up with a ship of Zion. And he is going to rescue you. There are three veils in this passion of the Lord that are rent. The first of them is the veil of the temple. The second of them is the veil of the heavenlies. And the third of them is the veil of his flesh. We all of us think in terms of the veil of the temple because we rightly read in Mark 15 where Jesus... 
cried in a loud voice and he gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple is rent from top to bottom. And we also see in heaven, excuse me, Hebrews chapter number six, where we have entered into that veil through Jesus Christ. That is the veil in the heavenlies. And lastly is Hebrews 10, where having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, hath he, Jesus, consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, the veil of his flesh. Three veils are torn. They were veils of separation. They kept people who were imperfect from the perfection of God's holiness. And the veil, whether it was on earth in the temple, or whether it is in heaven, or whether it is symbolized through the flesh of God, where the man Christ Jesus is crucified in our stead. It is through this great work of the cross that we are partakers of his righteousness. It is through the work of the cross that the church is gathered into Christ's body. It is through the tearing of these separations that keep us away from God that we are given access again to grace. And I want you to know it is my sincere hope, prayer, thanksgiving, and source of worship that someday, and I I say this in faith, but I also say this with confidence in Jesus Christ, someday somebody as imperfect as me is going to be able to live with him forever. How can I say that? Isn't that the most vain thing you've ever heard in your life? Isn't that the most arrogant thing you've ever heard in your life to have anybody who is filled with imperfections and errors? I know it shocks you, but I occasionally get a bad spirit. I think it happened once in 97. I... I occasionally get tired at people, tired of, of, of people, and I want to go hide. I know that once happened in 2012, and the rest of the time I've been the picture of perfection, right? No, not even close. How can a person like me say I expect to spend eternity with Christ? Because I can say this, within my household is a lot of, of too much carnal Nathan. There's too much carnal Nathan in this household, but I did not apply the blood of Nathan, to the doorposts and the lintel of the door. I applied the precious blood of Jesus in in my life. And the accuser of the brethren can show up to me and he can say, let me tell you the truth about you, Nathan. Sometime you fight too much for your faith and you are too tempted by a secular mindset and you're too tempted by having the doubt of the flesh and you're too tempted by uh, being impatient with people and, and, and you're too tempted to be spiritually arrogant and you're, you're too tempted to, 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 to be an imperfect husband and it's so hard for you to have a sweet spirit. You know, after all those many, many years of 25, years of suffering with your beloved wife. It is all these errors that we see in each other. And we say, how can a people like this be saved? People come to church and they look around for all the flaws of the church. And they say, oh, let me tell you the truth about the church. You know, lots of bad people in that church. Lots of no good people. You know what? If it wasn't for Jemila, there'd be no hope for Roosevelt to be saved, you know. And if it wasn't for, how shall I, if it wasn't for Taylor, you know, then uh, there'd be no chance for Sister Lisa to be coming to church. And we and we look around and we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are we going to pick on today? If it wasn't for Ron, Michelle wouldn't have a chance to make Evan her home. And we go on. That's a little bit too close to the truth there. Um, 
if it was, if it, you understand what I'm saying, if it wasn't for Tanya, Brother Scott wouldn't have a snowball's chance in Hades. And on and on we go and people come to the church. And because they have more in common with the devil, they look around to accuse the brethren. How do you know you're a part of devil? the devil team? Just be an accuser of the brethren. Just look around and find faults with the carnal band members. I can tell they weren't praying before they sang today. Just look around and talk about the no good youth, those young people. Some people couldn't serve God when they were young, but they have not a single good thing to say about young people who are doing their best to serve God when they're young. Or we say this church has too many too many uh, Democrats in it. Or this church has too many Republicans in it. Blah, blah, blah. Honey, get your eyes off the church. We did not put the blood of each other on the door of the church. We did not cover this church with the goodness of the platform staff. We did not cover this church by us being good enough. It's by the precious blood of Jesus. After you say everything bad about the church, make sure you say, thank God uh, that it's the righteousness of Jesus uh, that's going to get the church across the finish line. Thank God it is the righteousness of Christ. Praise God. Because through him we have redemption and through him we have hope. The truth of us is simple. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forward to be a propitiation, a covering through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. We have hope as a church today through the great work of Jesus Christ. And when we today partake together of the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful understanding and a beautiful insight that is, is I think, profoundly, profoundly insightful into what we are going to do as a church when we partake of the Lord's Supper together. In fact, our ushers can start getting prepared for that. Uh, and he said this after he had gone through it. He said, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You do what? You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Why is it that we proclaim the Lord's death? Why do we as individuals proclaim the Lord's death as opposed to proclaiming his resurrection? And I, I, I like to explain it by this, and this is just my own uh, thoughts and my own uh, explanations. Uh, we proclaim his resurrection as a testimony of God, but we proclaim his death as a testimony of our sins being covered and washed in the blood of the Lamb. We will be resurrected as he was, but none of us have been resurrected yet. The graveyards are still full and full of our loved ones, do you see? That is yet to come. And so when we proclaim the resurrection, it is an act of faith. When we proclaim the act of redemption, it is is us celebrated a completed, somebody say completed, a completed work. Now Christ's 
covering upon us is not given to us that we have permission to sin. No, no, no. It's given to us as an acknowledgement that even when we do our best, it's not good enough. We seek to serve God with our life. We seek to honor God with our life. That's why our obedience becomes an act of love, not an act of salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Our obedience becomes an act of love. If you love me, he said, do what? Keep my commandments. We are no longer servants who are forced to stay, but we become, as it were, that servant in the Roman Empire who takes the mark of a of love upon an earlobe where they are bored to show uh, that the earlobe is bored as a testimony to show I'm still in the house of my master, but he has set me free. I choose to be here. Do you see our service to God becomes an act of love. It does not become an act of salvation. Some of you, if you are, if you're not careful, uh, you can begin to live with a type of schizophrenic grace in your life where you believe that it's your blood on the doorpost of mercy. And you begin to feel like now I'm saved and now I'm not. Now I'm saved and now I'm not. Now I'm saved and now I'm not. And as long as everything's perfect, I'm saved. But Lord, if my wife says something ugly to me, I'm going to be lost for about 14 minutes. I, I don't really believe that. That doesn't make sense to me. And when I read the word of the Lord, that is not the hope we have. We are not hoping in our righteousness. Again, not permission for us to live in a manner of excess, but a, rec- a recognition that it is the precious blood of Jesus. You should have confidence not in your goodness. You should have confidence in the goodness of the one who died for you. Do you see the difference? And the reason why you should not allow some... I, it's, I'm always amazed at how many people I talk to who do deal with fear in their life and they feel as though they are not really saved because they know about this. Honey, all you have to do is put the blood on the doorpost. Let repentance work in your life and trust not in your goodness, trust in Christ's goodness. And so when the enemy shows up and says you are bad this and bad that, say amen to him. And then smile real big and say, it's a good thing. It's not depending on me, but I am covered by the precious blood of Jesus. I want to do something today that's a little different for our communion Sunday. And that is uh, while the ushers begin to serve you uh, your, your containers of wafer and, uh, and wine, they will, as they are serving you, I'm going to read you a tremendous amount of scriptures. And I want to give you a sense of the, the weight, the scriptural weight that is upon these concepts. Uh, Romans 8, 1 and 2, of course, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death and can the church say amen Romans 8 and 38 for I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will the church say amen? And we see Acts 17 and 28, for in Christ we live, we move, we have our being. We are, as the poet said, we are his offspring. Can the church say amen? First Corinthians 1 and 26, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Somebody say amen. And righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. And sanctification. Somebody say sanctification. And redemption. Somebody say redemption. You have to see that your hope of righteousness, sanctification, redemption, even wisdom is in Christ Jesus. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful passage? First Corinthians 15 and 21, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Second Corinthians 5 and 17, I love this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 2 and 6, And having raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete. Somebody say complete. In him which is the head of all principality and power. Ephesians 2 and 13, now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made, what? The righteousness of God in him. Oh, that's just a small sampling. The doctrine of our redemption and our redemptive hope through Christ Jesus' paying the debt is shown all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It's shown through the law. It's shown through the tabernacle plan. It's shown through the construction of the temple. It's shown through the prophets. It is shown through the gospels. It's shown even in the genealogies of Jesus Christ. It's shown through the story of the book of Acts. It is shown in the epistles. If I were to read the scriptures that are directly related to it, we would be here for much longer than we have been here because our hope is in Christ Jesus. And today, when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we are proclaiming our redemptive hope in Christ Jesus that one of these days, one of these days, we will become a part of the bride of Christ and we will be forever caught away to live in his presence, joined together in spiritual oneness for all eternity. If there's anybody here today who is looking for hope in anything else than Christ Jesus, I'm here to tell you, I have a better plan for you than the one you currently are on. In him, we find all before we take the Lord's Supper together, would you just take a moment and bow your head right where you're sitting? And would you 
would you let your heart be filled with repentance before we partake of the Lord's Supper together? Lord Jesus, we want your covering in our life. We partake of this supper of spiritual proclamation. We partake of it as an acknowledgement, one to the other, that we are redeemed through Christ and we are made perfect through Christ. And the church cannot depend upon the value and the worthiness of any one of us. But we must have the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ covering us, both theologically and spiritually. We must have your covering as parents. We must have your covering as spiritual leaders. We must have your covering as witnesses in this world. We as a church must be in love with your redemptive gift to us because it is the good news that we carry to the world and how beautiful, as the prophet said, are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace that happens through your church and we want to be your church in Jesus name Amen For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me if you'll peel back the clear plastic uh, cover to the wafer you may now please partake of the wafer In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may peel back the foil cover and partake of the fruit of the vine. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Would you stand with me all across the house? I'd like to invite you to step out of the chair you're standing in. Let's come stand across the front. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares with this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares with it. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. In your own words, your own style of speaking, would you talk to the Lord right now and would you say thank you, Lord Jesus, for your hope in my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your covering of my imperfection. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your acceptance 
of my heart. Jesus, we call upon you today. We call upon you today, Lord. You brought heaven down. You brought heaven down. It was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, our King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares with this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. The name of Jesus. Would you take someone's hand nearby or maybe put a hand on their shoulder? Maybe form some, form some groups around you. When you pray for that person nearby, I want you to pray that they would receive the great confidence of God in their walk. That they would not trust to their own abilities, but they would celebrate Christ and His righteousness in their life. Lord Jesus, we're praying for every heart today. We're praying for every life today. We're trusting and we're celebrating. We're glorifying you. There is no goodness in the flesh, but there is endless goodness in the work of Calvary. And we celebrate it. We glorify. We're not going to stop preaching about the blood at First Church. We're not going to stop singing about the blood at First Church. We're not going to stop shouting about the blood at First Church. It is who we are. We are founded and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. We want your blood to cover our homes. We want to cover the city. We want to cover our children. We want to cover every person fighting with addiction, fighting with of the flesh working against them, oh God, and we're claiming victory. We're claiming victory. We're claiming victory. You have no equal forever, God. You reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. name it is. What a powerful name. Oh yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus Christ, our King. Yes, Lord. Nothing can stand again. Name it is. 
there's a saying, there's a saying in, in uh, it's very strong among apostolic style churches. And that is this. The moment I say it, you'll recognize it. And I want to make sure we all understand what it means. And that is this saying. You probably heard old timer say it or uh, you might have heard new timer say it. Who knows? The saying is this. Plead the blood. How many of you have heard that said? How many of you have heard that your whole life? Plead the blood. When we say that, we are confessing that the only access we have to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has torn the veil of spiritual separation, creating an opportunity, a spiritual door of access. And so when you're sick in your body and someone says, I'm going to plead the blood, they're saying this, I'm going to the only door I have and I'm knocking on that door. tell someone who has a child who is sick or even a child who is not serving God and is very much in a life of sin and I tell them I'm going to plead the blood for your child. I'm saying this there's only one door but I'm going to go to that door for you and I'm going to knock on that door and I'm going to say God raise that sick child up out of that bed I'm going to say God stir the heart of that, that backslidden young person I'm going to plead the blood for you. And so you know what as a church we do as a church you know what we do for our community what you do as a believer for your community and your neighborhood and your neighbors you know what you do you plead the blood for them that's an old timey saying yes but what we're saying is we go to the only door we have and we knock on that door and we say God Charlotte needs revival we say this city needs an outpouring of your spirit we say this city is filled with people who are desperately needing you and we knock and we knock and we knock and we say oh God send a great Holy Spirit anointing and revival to the city and so would you join me and do that right now Lord Jesus we stand before you and we plead the blood of Jesus we ask you to open up the doors of heaven and we ask you to pour out in this community an outpouring that is beyond anything our flesh can know beyond anything that is of the work of the flesh beyond any ability of a preacher or a teacher or a band or a singer but God it's a it's a spiritual thing it's a God thing it's a it's something you can do Lord we plead the blood for our families we plead the blood for our children we plead the blood for every sick person among us we plead the blood for our apostolic Holy Ghost outpouring in Jesus name we pray
forget what a beautiful name sorry i don't know the song you have no equal somebody help me lift your voice you all. You're a beautiful audience and I love you in the Lord. I'm so thankful the Lord has joined us together. I believe in you. I believe in you. So many of you, I see you and I believe in you so much. I believe God has filled you with spiritual seed. I believe you're bursting to overflowing with spiritual seed. I want you to go out into your community and let that seed just flow out of you. It's springtime. It's time for the seed to be planted. Let that happen in your life. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Remember, next Sunday we have Brother Mullings in the 11 o'clock service. Come out, have a great time with us. If you're uh, if you're fairly new, uh, I'd love for you to come to my small group that happens right after this class. Right out those side doors over there, right into the First Steps room. You'll see it open right there. We have food for you. You'll get to know each other a little bit. We love you. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.